did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he, could, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Or you can take it. Morning, church. Thanks, brother. So have you ever noticed that when um, you're excited about something, you want other people to share that excitement with you? You know, if you, um, uh, some, I mean, it could be as simple as uh, a new series on Netflix, for those of you that have Netflix, and you're like, have you seen the new season of whatever? Oh my goodness, it's so good. Or, you know, maybe if you've uh, had a baby, you, you know, you, you want to post that on Instagram and Facebook and let everyone see how beautiful your baby is and everyone, you know, goo and gah and, and all that stuff. Or you see this like when, when couples uh, get engaged, right? They want, they want everyone to know, we're engaged, congratulations, it's Facebook official or whatever, right? Um, you know, in the days of the Old Testament, uh, God had chosen a particular group of people, his covenant people, the nation of Israel, and they were to tell of his greatness. So, you know, when you're excited and you, you just, you want to draw people's attention to something that's, that's, that excites you, right? In the same way, the nation of Israel, God's covenant people, were called to tell of his greatness to the surrounding nations. They were to be a missionary people. Psalm 86, 
verse 3 says, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. So God designed Israel to be a missionary nation. But sadly, in the book of Jonah, nothing could be further from that, at least with Jonah. Jonah could not accept, refused to accept, God extending His mercy to the Ninevites. Did you see that when Jeanette just read for us? He's completely cross about this idea. He did not want the Ninevites to be glad in God. You know, the, the Bible says, let the nations be glad. And that's not what Jonah wanted. That's what made him so upset. But his role, his job, his really who he was as, as God's child, and particularly as a prophet, was to spread the greatness of God's glory, right? You think about that illustration from the beginning. He's really excited, and he wants to spread that excitement about how good God is to all of the nations. But he doesn't want that to happen. That's what makes him so upset. But what he should be is excited that let the nations be glad. You know, that, that's such a, a powerful statement when you think about it. Let the nations be glad. Not happy. Not 1980s shine Jesus shine. Evangelifish stuff that fades when it gets to 2000 because it's not relevant anymore. No, sorry for the rant. But that is being happy in God because God made you. The whole reason you're here is to know God, to delight in Him. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That, so, so let the nations be glad in God. John Piper has a great book. You know, when we, think, when we talk about evangelism, you know what? Missions, let me say this, and I stand with Piper in this, missions is not the ultimate aim of the church. Oh, are you saying missions is important? Missions is secondary. Listen how Piper puts it. I, I, I think this captures the whole heartbeat of what missions should be. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Let that sink in. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists. Remember kids with the marbles? Why do missions exist? Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. So worship is the fuel and goal of missions. Amen. That really gets behind why we are on mission. So what I'd like to do this morning is ask ourselves, how are we going when it comes to being on mission? How are we in lockstep with God's heart for the lost? I mean, you see the Lord's desire for 
the Ninevites. And yet you see Jonah's reaction to that. And so what I want to ask ourselves as we go through the text is, how are we going in our attempts to reach the lost? How are we putting ourselves out there to do that? And then also stepping back and saying, how can we see the Lord's heart for the lost in this passage? So how are we going when it comes to reaching the lost? And how can we see God's heart for the nations? That's where we're headed. And what I want to do is just pray and uh, we will go through this, this uh, wonderful chapter to wrap up this amazing book, pointed, yeah, very, very good book. I love the book of Jonah. So why don't we pray and then we'll, we'll dive into it. Lord, we um, come before you and acknowledge that you alone are holy. Lord, that you are good, that we are not here by chance, by random. Lord, even someone that's snooping in via live stream this morning is not just random, but Lord, all that hear this, we pray that you'd give them eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would glorify yourself, that we would get a, a snapshot of your heart for the nations, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So let's go to Jonah chapter 3. That's where we picked, that's how last week ended, right? Remember the Jonah says 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown and, and there's this massive revival, right? There's this huge response, and because of that response, when verse 10, chapter 3, when God saw what they did, that's the Ninevites, how they turned, there's the repentance, turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And Jonah, when he sees, that's what God sees, and when Jonah sees this, he is so thrilled he is so happy, he decides to go on, spend the rest of his days as a missionary in the Middle East, telling people, 40 more days and this city will be overthrown. Is that what happens? Not so much. Well, notice chapter 4, we, what's his response? It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. The word it refers to two things, Nineveh's repentance and God's showing mercy to them, which if you notice does more than just displease Jonah, he's incensed. He's outraged. We really get a, a sneak peek into Jonah's heart, and not to mention just the roller coaster of emotions that he goes through because of this. Look at verse 2, because now we get, now, we, now Jonah makes it clear why he, he fled to start with. He knew God's character. And he prayed to the Lord, verse 2, and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful, or you gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You know, Jonah does not want God to be true to himself, Right? He says, I knew that you, it's just like you to do this. Funny, Jonah, did, are you having a bit of a memory loss here? You were the one back in chapter 2 crying out for mercy, if you recall. And yet when God extends that same mercy to someone else, well, you're cross about it. 
It's interesting. He was happy for the Lord to show mercy and grace to him, just not to the enemy. Now, now why? Well, you remember that Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, right? So that the more that Assyria prospered, the more that they were a threat to Israel. That could be part of the reason. Also, another reason could be this might be capturing Israel's heart as a whole. In other words, Jonah's kind of just, it's a microcosm. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a type. It's, it's saying this is how hard these people were because prophets are sent to them again and again and again. And what does Israel do? Are they putting on sackcloth and ash? No, they're, they're actually stiff-necked, it says. And yet here are these outside people outside the covenant, these pagans, and how do they respond when a Hebrew stranger shows up? Well, they're, they're showing up, they're actually quick to repent. That could be a, f- a few reasons. There also could be that Jonah has a view of God, lowercase g, and he's happy to serve this God created in his image and in his imagination insofar as that God fits the way he wants that God to work. Tim Keller, who just went to be with the Lord yesterday, actually, um, is a wonderful pastor, really creative thinker, and uh, he's, he's in glory now. He just died yesterday, um, died of 73. I uh, was a pastor in, in New York City. And Tim Keller, as he does so good, just really gets us to think. Look at his creativity here when he talks about the reason that Jonah is so cross. He says, as long as serving God fit into Jonah's goals for Israel, he was fine with God. As soon as he had to choose between the true God and the God he actually worshipped, he turned on the true God in anger. Jonah's particular national identity was more foundational to his self-worth than his role as a servant of the God of all nations. The real God had been just a means to an end. He was using the God to serve his real God. Isn't that really interesting? So he praised God for saving his own skin. But when the Lord extends that same mercy and grace to another nation, he all of a sudden becomes, look at verse 3, he pulls a little Bruce Almighty, right? Smite me Almighty, smiter sort of thing. Look what he says. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow, you know, it's just interesting. When I preach the gospel and someone responds, it's just I can't imagine dropping to my knees and going, why'd you do that, Lord? But keep in mind, the Ninevites were violent people. Remember, these were the arch enemies of Israel. And so here's the question, because I notice what God does here. He poses a question to Jonah. And 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 in the same way, I want to pose the question to you, brother or sister. Because look what he says. He says in verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So, so here's the question I want, I want to pose to you. Are you more like Jonah, 
or are you more like Jesus? Jonah says, oh, not them. And Jesus says, come to me. You know, I think it's a little bit of both in all of us. Because like Jonah, we are sometimes called to stand up for and preach the gospel in uncomfortable circumstances. Like Jonah, we are often more concerned, though, with our own comfort than we are with actually taking a risk in loving God and loving others. You know, what would happen to that friendship if you were really clear about what it meant to follow Jesus and you shared that with that person? What would happen in your workplace if you made it clear about your views of what the Bible says about marriage and sexuality and gender? What would happen? See, we can easily look at Jonah and go, ah, what a rat bag. And he is. But at the same time, I think we can also feel a bit self-righteous and sort of tisk tisk Jonah, not realizing that we're very fearful people. The scaredest thing we're, I mean, let's be honest, what are you kind of worried about that you get canceled and you get, that people start talking bad about you? Maybe that, you know, 60 Minutes does something about you or your job at the church. I mean, that, that would send fear in you. That, other, that, you know, maybe premiers start taking shots at you. This is what happens to Christians nowadays here in Australia. And so that, that causes us to be fear. So, so how do you avoid that? Well, just shut up and don't share your faith. That's how you can avoid it. Just hold on to this stupid notion that if you can just be salt and light, somehow people will come to know Jesus. That's dumb. That's not even how salvation works. Who told you that? Jesus says in Matthew 5, let your light shine before you. Yeah, yeah, but read the whole Sermon on the Mount. Look what Jesus says. It's coming off of the Beatitudes as well, by the way, what it means to be the kingdom of God, which talks about blessed are you who are persecuted and all these things. So what do you, what do, you see, sometimes we may not be cross if someone comes to Jesus or the notion of it, but we're afraid of what, how we'll cop it if we actually share the gospel with people. So are you more like Jonah or are you more like Christ? I mean, what did Jonah want? Jonah wanted to wipe the Ninevites out. Let's be honest. You know? And, you know, I was thinking about it this week. It's very unlikely that when you go to the shops this week, you're going to meet a Ninevite. Okay? Okay? Very, very unlikely. In fact, if you meet it and someone says, I'm a Ninevite, please let Dan and I know, because I actually find that quite fascinating. <laughs> um, but how many of you ever met some Ninevite-like people, people who, didn't, who were violent, who didn't know their, light, their right hand from their left? Perhaps some folks that live in the dark side of Wyoming. Seriously. That, that's, that's the kind of people that were surrounded, especially here in Wyoming, by the way. It's the kind of people we're surrounded by. And look, if we put our necks out and, and try to share Christ with these people, well, who, what, what could happen? You see, like, it's, it's easy for us to tisk tisk Jonah and think, well, you know, it could have been fear that's driving him as well. Fear of, again, them fortifying themselves as a nation and then just crushing Israel. But, you know, before that we begin to be on a high horse and think, well, uh, yeah, don't you know how bad some of those people are? 
yeah, I, I mean, I probably don't know the depths of it, but probably not any worse than you were, at least in God's eyes. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Remember Titus does that? Remember Titus goes, you know, if he just catalogs this darkness of all this stuff, and then he goes, and that's how all of you were. Remember that in Titus 3? But he, but he saved us. We, we didn't, you, know, you don't deserve to be forgiven. You don't deserve to be a Christian. I know as Westerners, we're quite entitled. You know, we work jobs and we tap our cards and we, we accrue money and things and we, we expect stuff. The Lord does not owe you forgiveness. You're, you're not entitled to be a Christian. It's actually the opposite. The wages of sin is death. What you've earned, dear friend, is, is God's wrath and judgment. But instead, for those who are in Christ, the gift of God, gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Eternal life. So, do you do well to be angry, asked Jonah. What does God want to do? What are you trying to, he's trying to draw Jonah out. Do you notice that? Hey, mate, do you, are, what, what space are you sitting in? Are, are, you, are you really cross about this? And you know what Jonah does? Rather than answer him, what does he do? He goes, nah, I'm going to go get a front row seat to see if you, actually you change your mind and decide to wipe them out. And it's amazing because here's a guy who has, remember, been swallowed by a fish. Here's a guy who's been shown so much mercy. He knows this to be true about God. And yet he's kind of hoping the Lord changes his character. Not in the case for him, just in the case for the Ninevites. Verse 2, I think, might capture the whole book. Whenever you get little sort of snapshots about God's character, you really want to park the car there and say, what can I learn about God? Because look what verse 2 says. Verse 2, he says, you are a gracious and merciful God. See that? Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. This may just be one of the main takeaways of the book because, I mean, think about it. Does God show that mercy and grace and slow to anger to, in Jonah's life? Yeah, I mean, he's doing it right now. Is he slow to anger with the Ninevites? Absolutely. How about the mariners who were in the storm and cried out? Does he show his kindness to them? 100%. Is he abounding in faithfulness to the nation of Israel? Absolutely. You see, the book of Jonah is not about a man who got swallowed by a fish. It's all about God. It's also more than the story about a prophet who ran away from God, as we've seen in the last few weeks. It's the story of the grace of God that pursues Jonah and the Ninevites in their rebellion. And not only Jonah... Not only the Ninevites and their rebellion and their stubbornness and their hard on us, but you people here at Wyoming Church of Christ, all of us. Because just like Jonah, our sin reaches far, but God's grace reaches farther. Now pick up in verse 4, because notice, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And what's interesting here is after he asks him this question, he goes up, wants to get a front row seat to see if, if the Lord will change his mind. And now the focus in this chapter, the spotlight 
shines on Jonah. And instead of a happy ending, we all love character developments, don't we? You know, Scrooge became not stingy, but joyful, according to Dickens, at the end, right? Uh, we all love turnarounds. The, the, the villain actually becomes the good guy in the end. The new Peter Pan, Captain Hook, just had a bad childhood, but then at the end, he can turn it around, which is totally different to the book. But, but anyway, we all love character developments, but what we get to see now with Jonah is actually the reverse. You don't see him go up. You actually see the wheels come off. And instead of him repenting, he actually hardens his heart more. And it's, the, the way the book ends, leave, it leaves you feeling a bit confused, disturbed, maybe a bit frustrated. And, and notice how the Lord's asking him, hey, do you do well to be angry? He's wanting him to assess himself. And what does Jonah do instead? He, he sulks. Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made, himself, made a booth for himself there. He sat in, it, in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So here's Jonah, gets a front row seat, and God says, just like I appointed, remember, I appointed all of these things, and now I'm appointing for you this nice plant, this little leafy friend. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. Notice the appointment there. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Now, wow. Kids, can I ask you, I have a question for you. At this stage, do you think, can you tell me, do you think Jonah is acting more like a good guy or a bad guy? Yeah, that's right, honey. Yeah, he's acting more like a bad guy, isn't he? You know, we, we might say, hey, where is, and where is Jonah at? Well, we know Jonah at the moment, he is outside. Remember, he's, looked, he's looking down at the city. That's where he's at physically. Chronologically, though, he's in the days of this massive spiritual awakening that's happening. But spiritually for himself, he's kind of back to square one. Have you noticed that? Sinclair Ferguson has some helpful words here. He says, it is now possible to assess Jonah's position. Geographically, he was outside Nineveh. Chronologically, he was in the days of revival. But spiritually, he was almost back to square one again. He was certainly defending what he had done before and beginning to dig himself into the spiritual pit of his formal disobedience. Geographically, chronologically, spiritually. Now God appoints this plant, right? So God appoints this plant, and the type of plant could have been like a, I want to focus on this, it's, it's interesting, it, it, it could have been like a castor oil plant, that's a type of plant that grew rather rapidly. Uh, whatever it was, notice, do you see Jonah's mood swings? He went from like, why? And then the plant's there, and then it's gone, and then he's upset, right? 
First, he's, he's, he loves, in fact, he loves the plant so much, he, he just, you know, cherishes this plant kind of more than he does human beings, right? And, and God sees this, he sees his attachment to this plant, and he's going to teach him a lesson. But this time, his lesson is reversed from what we experienced and saw in chapter 2. Remember in Jonah 2, when Jonah was cast into the sea, he went from distress, save me, O God, to deliverance. Now, the opposite will happen. He'll go from deliverance to distress, and his little leafy companion here is going to be wiped out. Come again to verse 7. It's, it's just a fascinating, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. So, so he's loving this plant, and he wakes up the next morning, and he might have thought, oh, gee, did I, did, did I sleep in? He's sort of rubbing his eyes because he's feeling the heat hit his face. He's like, oh, what, what? And then he goes, oh, where's my plant? And it's just his nice little leaf shack. It just become just this pile of rubbish in the sand. And God literally turns the heat up here by sending what's called a Sirocco. That was like a massive heat wave. It would kill livestock. I mean, this was just a deadly heat wave. Verse 8, every Jewish person would know about this. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah can't take it anymore. And what does God say to him? He asks him a question again. God says, you pity the plant, right? And then you get mad when I destroy it. And yet, don't you get it, Jonah? There's 120,000 souls in Nineveh. Should I not pity those people? Should I not pity the people that don't know their left hand from their right? Yes, Jonah, by ethnicity, you are my child, at least in the Old Testament here. But now look at God's heart for this nation that's totally outside. The, I love the idea, don't know their left hand from their right. I don't think that they were like, morally speaking, right? These are people just, they're upside down in the way that they live. He's like, should I not pity those types of people, even though they are not my original covenant people? Which, isn't that amazing how you were already seeing just a little snapshot here that that faith is not tied up with nationality, but it's faith in God himself and not just tied up with these group that makes up a particular ethnic group, but all the nations. It's a gospel really coming right out of the Old Testament because you understand in the fullness of time, God has sent in Christ and brought salvation to every tongue and every tribe and every nation. The compassion of God is shown in this narrative. We get a little snapshot, but it ultimately expresses itself in the new covenant. So, if that's true, and if God goes outside of his covenant people in the Old Testament and saves these people that are not his, so to speak, and then that comes, as we know in the Great Commission, go to all the corners of the earth, well, that's 
I don't think most people would disagree with that. We sort of see that. And in the book of Revelation, every tongue and tribe and nation are worshiping, right? The lamb, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so then that's a pretty, that has all hasn't happened yet. We're not living in that space yet. So then how do we get from where we're at? Dan, that's a super helpful illustration with the marbles too. How do we get to where the nations are being reached? How about even just, maybe even just locally, how about the people that you know that aren't Christians? How about your friends and your family members? How about your neighbors? I mean, just stop for a second. Think about your neighbors around you. I mean, lit, not like sitting in your chair, but like the person that lives next door to you, to your right or to your left, or across the street from you. Do they know Christ? There's got to at least be some of them that don't. Or do you even know? Have you even explored that? You, you should know that. You, you, should, you should be trying to reach out to them and just develop a conversation with them. So do they know Christ or not? I mean, providentially, you're sitting there on the street. You are the Jonah. You are the one with the 40 more days, dear friend, and your life's going to be overturned, so to speak. It's not going to be the other pagans. It's you. God providentially puts you there at that address. I mean, who else is going to reach the person? Just, just the, like, hopefully you know your neighbor. If you, if you don't, let's start from the beginning. Today, go knock on their door, say, hi, we've lived here the last 30 years. I just want to introduce myself and say, my name is so-and-so. There used to be a time when that was normal. Maybe bring him some biscuits or I don't know, do whatever, right? So you start there, get to know him. Hey, so, you know, just, I've been really encouraged by the Kennys. The Kennys, I think we're having some, t- was it table tennis guy that you guys were, like a, like a little barbecue in front, table tennis, and Dan had a good conversation with his neighbor. And Dan, what did the neighbor say? Something like, hey, as long as I stay out of God's way, he'll stay out of my way or, yeah, yeah, yeah something like that. But you see, that's a great example of just saying, how can we reach our neighbors? Now, what, what is driving Dan? Is it, is it, this, is it this, well, he's, hey, we pay the guy after all, so, you know, he better be doing something in the neighborhood. No, it's because Dan wants his neighbor to be glad in God. Right, Dan? Don't put words in your mouth, but you want your neighbor to know Christ. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, sp- I call a special business meeting after this. Yeah, so... Yeah, so. Um, and in the same way, you know, I would, I would bet, can I just want to push on you here with your neighbors? If they know, if you're like neighbors and you're like, oh, and you, there's, you maybe you have like little pink or blue balloons or whatever. They know if you just had a grandkid, like you probably shared with them like, oh, really have, or they know when you're going to go on holiday, right? Because you're excited. Oh, yeah. Going up north in the caravan, this would be on. Oh, cool. Yeah, right. Yeah, and you're, ex- right? You're excited. So you want to share that with them. Whenever something is of tremendous value, listen, whenever something is of tremendous value to you, whenever you treasure something because of its uniqueness or its power, its beauty, there's inevitable longing that you draw others' attention to it so that they too can share your high regard for it. Same thing goes with the gospel. You're so happy in God, knowing and delighting in God, it's just a natural overflow that you want to share it with your neighbors and your loved ones. And if not, where's the disconnect, friend? Like, what's going on there? 
it, it's, it, that, that's what Piper's talking about. Worship is the goal. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a good ending to a story, and I've got, I'm not going to lie, John, Jonah's a bit disappointing here. Because, <laughs> I mean, if you notice how God keeps just peppering Jonah with all these questions, and verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you well to be angry for the plant? And you know what's amazing to him? I do. I do do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The end. <laughs> and you're kind of like, wait, what, huh? Like, that says Micah right there. Wait, what? What's going on here? Uh, you sort of wonder if, if, if God says to Jonah, if you say you want to die one more time, you're going to get it. But the story ends with a question. You see that? Which leaves the final words with us. The narrative carries no conclusions because our lives write the final paragraph. For you are Jonah. I am Jonah. We should recognize ourselves in this man. We all need the mercy of God to enable us from this day on to be obedient to God's commands, to praise Him for His glorious grace, and to want to see the nations glad. We write the next paragraph. I'll end with this. There's a missionary lady who spent years, you know, Dan was using the Marvel illustration, she moved to another country and spent 10 years learning their language just to translate the gospel of Matthew into their language. And she spent all her time, raised support, left all her comforts of a Western world, and lived in a, a very primitive village. She's working with these people. It's hot. It's uncomfortable. And after 10 years of finally working on the gospel of Matthew, lo and behold, she's able to have the Bibles arrive. Right? She has contacts back in her western country. And when the Bibles finally arrive, the villagers are more excited about the trucks that are showing up with all this stuff than they are the Bibles. And anyway, as they distributed the Gospel of Matthew in their language, people are taking them back. And late that night, the chief of the village came and knocked at her door. And the chief had read through the Gospel of Matthew several times and was blown away about who this bloke Jesus is and was quite enthusiastic and really curious and said, well, did you, did, is, is this guy Jesus, is he from your village? And she went, oh, no, 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 no. I actually never physically met him. And the, oh, right, okay, well, did your parents then, were they friends with this Jesus fellow? Was he maybe in their village? No, no, no. And she was trying to explain how long it's been 2,000 years since Christ walked the earth. And so in order to explain, you know, 100 years, she'd take a little stick right there and go, it's been that long, 100 years, yep, 100 years, 100 years. And it was, the penny was starting to drop for this chief just how long it's been since Christ was on the earth and gave the Great Commission in the Gospel of Matthew. 
And with every single stick that she put down, you just watch his countenance just drop, drop. And it dawns on him, it's you know, been 2,000 years. And then he looks up at her and he says, why hasn't anyone came and told us about this yet? That's the question that Jonah leaves with us. I'll leave you with that. In fact, I want to, I want to, rather than, let me push it. I'm actually going to push this. Let, rather than just leave you and go, oh, that's nice, and then you, we carry on our merry way, here's what I want to do. I've done this before. I don't have my phone on me, but you can hold me to this. How many of you have your mobile phones on you? Okay, pull out your mobile phones. Hopefully they're on silent. You know if they're not on silent, then I, then I tease you about it, right? Because if, if you haven't figured that out. So, if you don't have your mobile phone, that's fine. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. I've done, I, I, I will do this as well, okay? If you have your mobile phone with you, I want you to just, because again, we can all get ex- exercised about this, and then sort of just forget about it and go on with our life. Remember I'm telling you, your neighbor, your friend, your family member, think of someone right now, like as that's physically in your, in your contacts, right? Someone that you know that's not a Christian. Can you think of somebody? You, might, if you, you shouldn't have to scroll that far. What was the percentage, Dan, that you said? Ten, it's probably less, right? In church. In church. Yeah, so ten, and that's church. Yeah, yeah, broadly speaking, right? So that's, I, I, I would imagine if any Aussie in this room scrolling through their phone would only have to go through a few contacts and go, yep, Frank, not a Christian, or whatever, right? Everyone with me? Am I Looney Tunes? Or you, you, okay. Okay. So think of that person. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I'm not going to force you to do it. What if you shot a text message to that person right now and you just said, hey, I love, in your own words, hey, I'd love to chat with you about something important. Or in your own words, hey, can we grab a coffee I want, or I want to catch up and, and, and tell you something that I learned today. And then, if you do that, guess what? They'll probably respond. So, you know, keep it on silent because we'll all be worshiping in just a minute. We're doing communion. Like, bing, 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 you know. But then guess what? They'll respond to you and they'll, and they'll say, oh yeah, oh, yeah, that's cool. Especially if you have some relationship with them. They'll say, yeah, what? what, what? And then they'll say, well, what, yeah, when? You want to have a coffee? Sure. And then they'll sit down and say, Hey, Scott, what do you want to talk about? Uh, nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, see, rather than get like kind of woohoo and, and make this like a pep rally and then go, like, I, I'm going to just give you, I'm going to give you just a few more minutes and then I'll pray and then we'll take communion. But seriously, have a go at it because you'll probably forget. We'll, we'll take communion, we'll worship, and then we'll, you'll, you'll go off and, and there you go. But have your phone. Flick a text. There are 39 people, Dan, I counted in this room. That's 39 people potentially that could have got 39 gospel conversations. 39 people. What if, what if all 39 of those people got saved? And if you're like, eh, you're Jonah. <laughs> like, I'm, I hate to say it, but if you're indifferent to this, if you're just like, eh, like I'm a bit sauce that you're not Jonah yourself. Like, hopefully, then you didn't hear anything we've said the last hour, right? So, 
you don't have to do it right this minute, but I'm literally just like, I don't, I don't care about awkwardness. Like, I, I, I'll just kind of wait up here, and then you can all just, I know I'm not a bad specimen to look at, so if you want to just stare at me. That's, especially with these glasses, my sister-in-law got, Anaja went and got me these because I, I didn't have the ones I normally use. So if you want to just, you know, stare at me, it's fine. But, um, Dad, I know, sorry, honey, it's embarrassing. So, um, but again, I'll just, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a few minutes just to do that. Like, I don't care if it's awkward, so I'll just, you know, you can stare. For those of you not going to do it, that's, yeah. All right, so take a few minutes, think of someone, shoot them a text. Sky, you doing it? You having a go? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, you having a go? Done. Dan's already done it. Dan wins. You get, your mar- you get the marbles. Pete, you having a go? Nice. Thirty-nine people, thirty-nine souls that need the gospel. Come on, Jonas. Got thirty-nine Jonas in here, or not? I know I'm not doing. It. I just literally don't have my phone. That's fine. Yeah. So if you don't have your phone, don't like. It's like I I would, but I don't have that. Well, so like I can shoot you a text, Petra. If I can remind you, or you're writing it down. Yeah. Cool. Your neighbor. You mentioned your neighbor. You've been trying to share the gospel with her. So maybe there's one. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did you call me Dan? Good. That's a comp- I'll, I'll take the compliment. Yeah. Baby, I know you know all kinds of people that need Jesus. Yeah? You, got all kinds of, you know all kinds of people that need the Lord. Yeah, ex- yeah exactly. Exactly. There's got to be some folks in Carryong that need Jesus. Kim, I know you know all kinds of people that need Jesus. I do. And the lady that um, I will be catching up with, um, yeah, she's awesome. Praise the Lord. If she becomes a Christian, don't become cross, right? You learned. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Smite me! Yeah. That's encouraging. I'm just trying to make this practical, like, get, get down to the bones of it here. So, um, I've just found, like, in too many churches, like, everyone go, woo! And then kind of just, there it goes, right? So, yeah. I was trying to have a na- uh, go with my neighbor yesterday. She walked past, and I said, um, I was mentioning Max Marine. I was mentioning how we're doing Christianity Ex- Explained. Explored or explain, explained? Ex- what's the Aussie one? Explained. And um, I, sa- I said, Max Marine and I have been doing Christianity Explained. We just started up. We're meeting again this Wednesday, right? And I said, um, I said, oh, I just met with a lovely couple over in Umina. This is my neighbor. She just walked past me yesterday. They were doing soccer as well. And I said, oh, you, you me, and your husband should, should have a go. And she was like, what did she say, guys? She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I said, no, no, no. So I didn't, I didn't ask her. I just was kind of like, and then I was like, so when are we doing it? You know, just kind of forcing them into it. Right? Yeah, yeah. So. Stalk, yeah, stalking, that's all right. I'm sure there's a law here for everything. Yeah. 
But then you can break it. And, I don't know. I won't say anything. Don't get me started. Um, cool. Josiah and Sailor, you guys know some, a lot of non-Christians on your soccer team. Absolutely. Yeah. S- some of the comments they've said, too, are quite shocking. And that's <laughs> what they, those kids need the gospel. All right. You guys, you guys going to have a, are you excited this week? Hey, and look, if you're kind of like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I know. This is like to the person next to you that is a Christian. Um, and by the way, if you're a member here, it says that we will, what is it, Dan, work? Uh, uh, thank you. If you sign our church covenant, that's what we're all about. <laughs> Some hold your feet to the fire, right? So mine as well. Yeah. But you can, you can rivet one another on in that. So yeah. Cool. Very good. All right. Very good stuff. Um, and maybe, look, maybe there's not one now, maybe this afternoon. You'll go, it's Fred. I need to send that text message to Fred. Or call him or knock on their door. Or, Chris, you got one? Or are you checking your Facebook? <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> Chris, the Lord's gotten hold of your life like pretty radically in the last year or two, and there's all kinds of stuff you could share with people. And, and guys that would have gone to school with you, they're sort of like, we're nominally Christian and now not Christian. Same with you, Joel. Same sort of thing. Yeah. Did you text someone? Okay, good. You can still be a deacon. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Hey, how about, how about I pray to, to wrap us up? Pray that the Lord would continue to burden our heart for the lost. Amen. Father, we, Lord, all the text messages that have just gone out or will go out, Lord, do a miracle. Save souls. Do it for your glory, Lord. We know that you are a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Would you show that to be evident in the conversations that we have and save multitudes for your glory? Just through a simple, even this morning, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.